welcome to another Inside Golf Podcast. We're already on like episode 54, I think. Time flies. It is, it's CJ Cup week now, and I'm joined by my good pal, Rick Gaiman. Before we get into my conversation with Rick, let's talk about Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy app, come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props with Thrive you can eliminate countless hours of research and focus only on the top tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. You get to choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup for NFL. PGA, it's only 5 out of 10. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. If you hit the most props, you rack up the most points and you win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has over $140,000 guaranteed in prizes for every NFL game. The contest that I will be playing in every single week is Thrive's featured 100K guaranteed contest. That's only $20 to enter and first place takes home 20K. But if you use promo code Andy, that's promo code Andy. When you sign up today, you'll receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. So whatever you deposit, we will match you. If you want to deposit 20 to enter the featured contest, an extra 20 will show up in your account because that is how we do things at Thrive Fantasy. It's very simple. They have golf. They have football. I plan on playing both, but basically you get to pick your favorite over-unders on a golfer or a football player's fantasy points, enter your lineup into contests, play against people like me, and if you choose correctly, you win. It is very easy and simple to play. And with promo code Andy, you are getting free money to play with. So once again, download the Thrive fantasy app on the app store or visit thrivefantasy.com make sure you type in andy under the promo code when you sign up and boom double your money in your account from what you deposit you are good to go and you can play against people like me to win even more money so thrivefantasy.com thrive fantasy app on the app store use promo code andy for a 100 instant match on your first deposit let's get to the show all right, Rick Gaiman is here, popular man, last couple of weeks. I saw you on my good pals, Steve and Chris's Be Right podcast last week. I believe you were on Pat's last night, and I just wanted it on the party as well, because what is it now? This will be the the third tournament in a row, if you include the long drive contest that you've right. attended in person. Are you starting to feel a little burnt out yet, or are you even more excited given how awesome the field and the course is this week? Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me. I'm stoked. It's been a really good stretch. I'm glad you included the long drive in there because it's been a really, <laughs> it's been a really good stretch for Las Vegas and surrounding areas. Right, Mesquite was where the the long drive was, which is about you know an hour or so outside of outside of the valley. Uh, but it is, yeah. I mean, it's just been it's been a great run of golf for Las Vegas. I think that the guy, like you know, even when you throw in Colin Morikawa and Xander Schauffele and what they're doing into the game right now, and both of those guys are Las Vegas guys. Like it's a really and there's so many young guys who are moving out here. It's it's a really good place to be, and I'm I'm excited about it. I'm I'm not burnt out at all. I I, I rarely I rarely get burnt out. Uh, there'll be that five weeks, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas or New Year's, basically without the PGA Tour. But we will have Brooks versus Bryson. No, this this stuff gets me amped. Like I I feed off of this. I could do this for a hundred weeks in a row. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. Let me ask you this: Are you a when you go to a golf tournament, are you a 
lock into a group and follow that group for 18 holes? Or are you a kind of post up and get prime real estate at a hole and watch guys go through there? Neither. Uh, so here, so if you, if you have one day to go, if you have one day to go, it depends on the day, Thursday morning, Friday morning, you can basically do whatever you want. The, the play for me is uh, walk backwards. You, you start at you know, either 10, or 10 green or 9 green or 18 green, and you walk backwards, which, which gives you a couple of things. You see everyone, which I don't, I don't need to follow the same group. I think that's fun at times, but I, I want to see a lot of different guys. And also, because you're walking backwards, you're never fighting the crowd, and you are getting to featured groups, or you're getting for spots for featured groups to post up before they get there. So like you can start to see, okay, like I, you know, at Summerlin last week, I could see when the Brooks group was coming, right? Like they're like a whole, a whole away. I can go up and post up in the fairway or by the green and I can have a really good spot when those guys get there. And then the crowd passes and I just go on about my day. I will say this though. Um, I spent a lot of time at Summerlin. So that's my general strategy. If you do get a chance to follow around one group, you learn so much, Andy. I, I yeah. mean, you and I are big stack guys. I love it. I bend the knee to the strokes gain metrics, but it, there's so much ebb and flow and momentum when you see every shot a golfer hits in a round. It's, it's, it's really enlightening stuff. So I would encourage people to do that once, but generally speaking, walking backwards is the key. I'm so glad that you framed it that way because I've always said that going to golf tournaments in person is a skill. It obviously requires far more strategy than <laughs> any other in-person sporting event. But yes. if you get the hang of it, and especially as you mentioned, if you go on a Thursday or a Friday, you can really get in there. I remember I went to the Northern Trust a couple months ago and I was following Xander on Friday when he shot a, a 61. And I mean, I got so up close on so many shots where I actually got to hear the conversations yes. between him and his caddy Austin, for, which for me is the coolest thing ever. If you're into that stuff, there's literally nothing in sports like it. Like I'm a diehard Knicks fan. I've had, I've had Knicks season tickets my entire life, been to over a hundred Knicks games in my life easily. There wasn't one time where I could actually hear what the players were saying to each <laughs> other in the middle of the game. Yeah, I'll give you an example. I mean, uh, I guess it was Thursday or Friday morning. Matthew Neesmith like chipped in on 13 so that he had a lot of time to kill while I was playing partners finished up he just like walked over like outside the ropes and we're just like you know shooting the shit with him and it's like that would like kevin durant has never walked over and just like started <laughs> chatting with random fans right i mean it's just there there really is no other no other experience like it so let me ask you now transitioning a little bit into this week's tournament have you been there yet? You're going right after we finish recording to the Summit Club for the first time or since being in Vegas, have you been to this venue before? I've been very lucky to go to a lot of nice exclusive courses. Uh, this one I have not made it to. So this is not only a, a course, Andy, it's, it's essentially a residence. Yeah, right? Discovery it Land is, Company. Yeah, it is upscale. It is exclusive. It's uh, I'm sure multiple gates I'll have to drive through to go over there. So no, I have not. I have not been there yet. But for, but I'm I'm trying not to describe it as a resort course because that's that's not what it is. But think about the clientele, Andy. Right? Think about the people that are playing. It is not set up to be daily a difficult golf course, no. right? So I think it's going to be, and from what I understand and what I've seen, generous off the tee, rough will be very short, if if not non-existent. Uh, greens are larger than average. So it'll obviously be set up different for our touring professionals, but uh, I'm excited to get out there and, and walk it and see what the heck is going on. 
Okay. So speaking of kind of how we think this course is going to play, just to give a couple specs at the top for the listeners, we are talking about the CJ Cup. It is a 78-person field, no-cut event. As Rick mentioned, we are heading to the Summit Club for the first time. This has been previously held at Nine Bridges in South Korea for three years straight. And then because of COVID, it, it traveled over to Las Vegas again uh, at Shadow Creek. So this is the first year that we're going to the Summit Club. It's, it is a par 72. It's measuring 7,431 yards. Bermuda grass fairways and rough bent grass greens that average almost 6,600 square feet on average. So pretty large greens, as you already kind of alluded to. And the prevailing through line um, that I think you're going to hear all week uh, is that this is a Tom Fazio course. And Tom Fazio has designed or redesigned a number of other PGA Tour courses, including Congaree, which had the Palmetto, Kasuma Gaseki, which had the Olympics, Shadow Creek, which hosted this tournament last year, Conway Farms, which used to host the BMW. He's done a lot of work on Quail Hollow. And most recently, he also designed Caves Valley, which had the BMW. There's more, but those are kind of the main ones. To me, Rick, based on all of the information that I have, when I compared the specs and the pictures and the quotes and the players that continue to pop up at all of these courses, it seems like there's a lot of overlap in the stuff that Fazio tries to do. Are you leaning heavily on how players have performed at some of these past Fazio designs, or do you kind of view the Summit Club as this kind of its own unique entity? Oh boy. The, it's a great question. The answer is probably terrible. It's probably like, it depends. Right. But the, <laughs> the, so, so it, it is, you were reading off that list and you're, you're absolutely right. And there is kind of this weird thing of, you know, was this, was the architect Tom Fazio or did he redesign it? Like when you start getting into like Tom Fazio touched golf courses, um, yeah. it, it, it kind of runs the gamut of, you know, did he have full control, some control, a recent redesign, like a modernization. There's just, there's just a lot there. The one thing that I think is a little bit prevailing for Fazio across other places like um, Caves Valley and what I believe we are going to see here at the Summit Club is large greens that have more subtle undulation. They are, uh, you're playing to kind of different spots on the green tiers, um, where they're going to put these flags and you're going to have to be, so while they're larger greens, you're going to have to kind of be a bit more exact to get on the right. I don't, it's not a tier, but like the right section of it. So that's the one thing that I think does play well through a lot of the more at least, at least the places where Fazio had a big say in the green complexes, um, but but it is starts it starts to be a little bit of a fool's errand, I think, when you're trying to figure out, you know, is this a Fazio design course? How much did he touch? Because you look in like, you, you know, on, on Fazio designs, like Hudson Swafford's like has been awesome, and he's mint nah. guys, right? So you, like, no, it we'll really, talk about it Hudson. really starts to like <laughs> mess with your brain a little bit when you start start trying to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, my uh, I just got a text from my friends probably 10 minutes before we went live. And he said, so I've played Summit Club six to seven times. I would say that it's approach and putting. Uh, mm. It's not overly long, obviously, because of the altitude. That's probably yes. something I should have mentioned at the top is that we're playing at altitude here. So while it reads 7,400 on the scorecard, it probably plays closer to like 71 or 72. Yeah. But he said the fairways aren't very tight pretty classic Fazio in quotes. <laughs> um, 
and it should be pretty gettable for these guys. Nothing too intricate about the greens, but they're definitely on the bigger side. Not many holes with true trouble for these guys. Short iron slash wedges, ball striking and putting contest, in my opinion. Does that sound about right? Uh, okay. I mean, I, I could have written that. That would have been my assessment. Uh, yeah. yeah, because because to me, uh, for the, the, the idea of not having to be super accurate off the tee kind of takes away some of these guys' best weapon, right? You talk about Roy McIlroy. Obviously, he can do it with distance. But, like, if there's not trouble off the tee, Jordan Spieth might be, you know, doing cartwheels out there, right? I mean, it's just it's just going to be wide open. As long as you're not playing out of the desert, um, I don't think you're going to have much trouble, which then, in turn, turns this into a second-shot course and a putting contest, right? Because that's if everything has been kind of levelized and stabilized off the tee, this is, this is kind of what we deal with. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that makes... I think that makes a ton of sense. I think it's logical. Well, I'm excited to, I'm sure you'll be tweeting and yes. I'm sure you'll have more <laughs> content coming out um, later before the tournament even starts. So I'm, I'm excited to get your take um, later on in this week as well once you, once you get out there. But let's dig into the odds, my friend. So I'm using all odds courtesy of DraftKings, but as always, feel free to throw out any numbers. They've kind of been a little bit all over the place this week, yeah. but you know, it, it always kind of varies, but looking at kind of the first tier of the favorites that we have here, I'm looking at Dustin Johnson, 10 to one, Justin Thomas, 12 to one, Xander, 12 to one, Morikawa, 16 to one, Rory, 16 to one, Spieth, 20 to one, Louis Ustazen, 22, Sam Burns, 22, Tony Finau, 25. Is there anyone in this range where you're kind of starting at the top here, Rick? So, uh, possibly, um, the, the, I, first of all, I love the idea that Dustin, it, it took, uh, three days of good play from Dustin Johnson <laughs> to, to get back to the top of this board, which I, listen, I, I love, he could be great here, all that good stuff, but like, it, it's shocking to me. Um, I, I think there is a case to, to me. I, I, I think I prefer Xander Shoffley over Colin Morikawa just because Xander is in complete control of his game at all times. He's also always here in Vegas. I mean, he's, he was out at TPC Las Vegas game looked great last week, but he took a week off uh, instead of playing instead of playing Shriners. Um, but the case to be made, I think, in the betting market is I think I'd rather bet Morikawa than play him on 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 DraftKings or on your favorite DFS site because I think a lot of people are going to take the Summit Club narrative uh, probably too far, and we're going to get him like twenty five or thirty yeah. percent owned. And I'd yeah. probably prefer to. To, to pivot there to Xander, but I think there's a case to be made that uh, I I might just fire an outright on on Morikawa here because that's that's the the side of the industry that I would like to get exposure on him in if that makes sense. Yeah, no, let's talk about Morikawa for a little bit because he has the thing I'll say about Morikawa. He has in what I've seen just kind of in my golf chats that the people that I talk golf with and just kind of perusing through Twitter, he has become the guy this week um, yeah. that everyone is betting. Mito is not in the field. So we've shifted our attention to Morikawa this week. And I, I agree. I think it's incredibly justified. The one pushback I'll give is that the course that Morikawa and the members see every day, and you kind of already alluded to this, 
it's going to be a lot different than the course that I think he is going to see this week for tournament competition. For sure. uh, and that can be jarring sometimes, right? Like actually Webb Simpson has talked about that before at Quail Hollow. Ryan Palmer has talked about that before at Colonial um, where they get asked, like you play this course every day. Why haven't you won here more? And it's like, yeah, this is not the course that members see on a daily basis. I'll give you a real world example from last week, TPC Summerlin. I've got a couple of friends who are members over there. I get to play it quite often. I've never seen any of those pins because they would never yeah. put those pins out for the membership. The membership would, would cancel. They'd go somewhere else if, if they play the pins that the pros do. So that's, that's one small example. But um, I think you're right. Now, the, 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 I don't really care about the Summit Club membership. That's like 5% of the Colin Morikawa yeah. thing. The other part is it's Colin Morikawa. He's very good at golf. And if you've been blindly betting him for his entire career, uh, you are up a lot of money just because when the putter gets going, he's just one of the best in the world. So it's, it, I don't really care about the, the membership thing as, as much as maybe others do. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard to decipher because like even you get, you know, like these guys that sleep in their own beds and stuff like that, like it's obviously a more comfortable vibe for them. They probably are going to have a lot more friends and family at this tournament. But then I remember like Bryson played that uh, TPC Craig Ranch, which is five minutes away from his house. I I watched that because I was one of the crazy people that actually consumed (laughs) Bryson's YouTube content that week. But, you know, he was bad that week. And kind of the, the other thing that I'll say about, Morikawa before we, because I want to get your take on one other player in this range. But, you know, many of his wins have come at bigger numbers, at least in the 30s. And I think Morikawa has built up this betting bandwagon for some of the people that hit on him at disrespectful odds at the concession (laughs) or at the British Open. And listen, he's 16 to 1 now, right? And I think that should he have shorter odds than Xander or JT? Yeah, probably, but I don't think he's getting disrespected at 16 to 1. You know, even for the rate that Colin Morikawa wins, 16 to 1 in this field is at the very least a fair price tag. And there's so many guys that I like in the high 20s and low 30s that we'll talk about very shortly that, you know, if a 16 to 1 golfer beats me, I don't know if I'm going to lose a bunch of sleep over it. I think I'd probably rather take two guys in the 28 to 32 range than one guy at 16. Yeah. I mean, there's a guy, there's a guy in the late twenties that I'm just like all, all in on. So I will talk about him. I I don't have an issue uh, with, with that, but it is interesting, right? I I don't think JT has proven enough to be at his price. DJ debatable just because sometimes when he gets going, doesn't matter their direction, difficult to stop. So like I I get that books don't want to get burned on DJ. Xander Xander's weird because he, he's got the a gold medal. He's got the win at the Ryder Cup, but every you know, like wh- where's the PGA Tour victories coming I from, know. right? Does he feel like, "Hey, I got to start piling these up at some point?" Like I, it's kind of a weird situation. Yeah, you know, I, as I'm sure you know a little bit by now, Xander's my favorite player. I, I, 
I feel like I have a beat on Xander uh, more than I, I mean. I follow everyone from his like to his caddy's wife on Instagram. Like I, I know everything that is going on with Xander at all hours of the day. It's just a tough number for Xander, and it's not his fault, by the way. Like no. I think this is actually a week where if he was even sixteen or eighteen to one, people would probably be all over him. And I still do think that he's going to carry some ownership in DraftKings, but you know it because it almost makes makes too much sense, right? He has the Olympics win on Afazio. I think that's a pretty good comp course from everything I've seen. Second at Shadow Creek, obviously. Um, yeah. I think those are probably like the two best comps even of all the Fazio that I've seen. 12 to 1 is is just kind of hard to swallow. And I know that he's playing the Zozo next week in Japan, which means a lot to Xander because of his heritage. Um, so I, I, I kind of wonder if, you know, I look ahead spots in golf is kind of like, <laughs> what are we talking about here? But it's really just the number for me. The guy that I want to that I really want to get your opinion on as a fellow stats guy um, before we move into the this kind of next tier is I think I'm more interested to see what Rory does this week than maybe any other golfer in the field. And I need to get your take on this because I think digging into the numbers, I think I found myself more consistently confused about what to do with Rory these ways. I think from a statistical standpoint, Rory has turned into one of the most difficult golfers to understand. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So during the summer, he had this five-star run where he gains over four strokes on approach, right? That is downright elite. Um, that is really hard to do, Rick. Uh, the last time Rory did something like that was like 2016, I believe. And then just completely out of the blue, I remember this because I bet him this week, starting at the FedEx Cup playoffs, he turns from being one of the best iron players in the world for two months. Then he starts losing strokes on approach in three straight starts. And that's kind of been the story with Rory for what, like the past three to five years, flashes of brilliance kind of followed up by just like head scratching stuff. He has really, I guess, Quail Hollow, he he, he wins, but like he's been so in uh, unable to put four rounds together and you will see flashes of this where one round he'll gain yeah a stroke and a half on approach and then he'll lose it all back the next day and it seems to be more wedges than anything else uh i agree with you i i consider this whack-a-mole right like sometimes it's the driver sometimes it's the putter sometimes it's the wedge game which is always a little bit concerning when you start to get rory mcelroy in the 22s you know which is where you can get him i think points bets hanging at 22 right now it's just like like it starts to become head scratching is probably the good word. Now, I don't know if this is the spot for him just because, you know, we were kind of chatting earlier. His best weapon might be just kind of diffused a little bit here where yeah. he's going to have the distance. Sure. But like, I want Rory on places where, uh, you know, tight driving or like, if I have to carry a pinched in bunker, uh, something like that, like that's where I want Rory, where he can go out and gain a bunch of strokes off the tee and separate himself from the rest of the field. I don't necessarily see that here at summit club. So I just think his best weapon uh, historically is, is not so much of a weapon this week. And he's going to have to rely on the parts of his game that we have questions 
questions about that we are scratching our head about. And it just, it just be, continues to raise more questions than answers for him. Yeah, I think I'm, te- I'm definitely going to pass on him in the betting markets. I think I'm going to let ownership kind of dictate what I do with him in DraftKings, but he's just turned into one of the most puzzling golfers, in my opinion. And you could tell me that he's going to win two majors this year, and I would believe you. And you yeah. could also tell me that he will finish the season not ranked in the top 50 in the world one year from now, and I would also believe you. Yeah, it's 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 kind of shocking where we're at. Didn't play well at the Ryder Cup, obviously. Nope. It's nope. just it's just yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, we will uh I think we're both kind of lukewarm on him. Let's move into some of these this next group of guys. Victor Hovland at 28 to 1, Shane Lowry at 28, Cam Smith at 28, Brooks at 28. And then you kind of get into, I'm not going to list all these guys, but the Schefflers, the Sung Jays, the Answers, the Harris Englishes, the Hideki's, Webbs, uh, Hatton, Casey, Adam Scott is in this range. Jason Kokrak is in this range. A lot of good players in this range. Let's just get it over with now. I, I need to ask you about Victor. Am I certifiably insane for considering a player that just lost nine strokes around the green? Uh, no, he is. He's going to win by like three shots this week. It, it, it's Let's just, go. It, he okay. So I'm. I, I just. I just fall in love with him more and more all the time. Not only on the course, but off the course. I mean, he is so even keel which is a, a skill that you cannot like it's hard to teach that and he's just built that way you like you always see him smiling uh, the 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 nine strokes that he lost around the green at Summerlin is by far the worst week of his career by far like 3.7 in the negative was like his worst before that even if he loses 3 this week and gains like two with the putter, maybe uh, he's going to be in contention or he's going to make plenty of noise. The other thing is, and I will say this, like people don't realize there, there are only two defenses at TPC Summerlin playing out of the desert, which if you avoid the desert, you're fine. And then the only, only, only tricky shots on that course come around the green. And I watched him um, and I watched a lot of other guys do it too, you know, on Oh boy. Eight on Thursday morning. It was the second to last hole of the day. It's the par three, puts it in the front right bunker. Can't get it out of the bunker because he's up against the lip, leaves it in there. Then hits kind of like a mediocre shot out. He probably wasted a shot and a half there. Then he hits a seed on 14 earlier in the round, which is all over the flag stick, gets a little bit unlucky, rolls down to a dead spot behind the green. You can't get up and down from there. Nobody can. It's just like he got a little bit unlucky. He played poorly. We know it's a weak part of his game, but the rest of it is so special. It, I, it's just so hard to imagine a world in which Victor Hovland's not winning a bunch in the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, I, that's the thing that I, there are kind of two sides to this and, and you already shed a little bit of light into it, but I, I, I was just trying to figure out how he got to minus nine, right? And I just, <laughs> I, do, I don't have the bandwidth or the time to really go back and deep dive it. But, you know, there's a lot of different situations that are are possible with that. Like, you know, maybe it's a situation where he scolded. You kind of already mentioned it a little bit. There's kind of one or two disaster holes that really juke the sats, kind of like what we saw with Bryson on the back nine at the U.S. Open, where he had one hole where I think on that one hole alone, he lost like two or three strokes to the field around the green. And I'm trying to put myself in Victor's shoes, right? Like I've had the chipping yips before in tournaments and 
Man, it, it is very hard to get comfortable because it does put so much pressure on every aspect of your game. But I've also gone through stretches where I've been really comfortable in my short game, but I've put myself in certain places around the green where I just left myself impossible chips. And the scorecard would read that I chipped everything to 15 feet. But some of the time, like it was a really good chip just to give myself a 15 foot putt. We're getting really into the weeds at this point, which is expected when you and I do a podcast together, but the strokes gained like account for that stuff. Like I, I've, I still haven't been able to figure it out. Yeah. So it's funny because he gains like over five strokes on approach, right? So he didn't like, he didn't miss that many greens. He yeah. didn't give, him, <laughs> give himself a chance to even, uh, to even put himself into trouble. It was, I think two really bad, ugly holes. Uh, he had another really bad chip on like Saturday or Sunday that I watched on PGA Tour Live that was horrendous. But uh, listen, this is a shortcoming of his game. He was probably going to lose three strokes around the green anyway, and he just got a couple of unlucky spots on a course where that's the only place you can't be, and it adds up quickly. And once you're kind of you know, out of it on the weekend, uh, you know, how much time and effort and thought is going into every single, every single shot that you're, that you're hitting. If that makes sense. It it completely makes sense. And and here's my final sell with, with Victor. And maybe I just spend too much time talking to Jeff and stuff, but I, I just, there's no one in golf that is hitting the ball better than Victor right now. He's the only guy in this entire field. That's top five in off the tee and approach over his last 36 rounds. I'll quickly read off what he's done on Fazio courses. 14th at Kasuma Gaseki, 3rd at Quail Hollow, 17th at Caves Valley, 12th at Shadow Creek. Never finished worse than 17th on a Fazio course in his career. And I'll give you kind of the thing that put me over the edge with him is, guess where he played every single day in college? A 7,400-yard bent grass Tom Fazio course, Karsten Creek, which I was lucky enough to get to play last year. And let me tell you, if what I'm seeing with the Summit Club is correct, those courses are very, very similar. It's why Oklahoma State guys have been really good on Fazio courses. Ricky has been really good on Fazio courses. Taylor Gooch actually has been really good on Fazio courses. And I think he can win this tournament losing strokes around the green. So I think I'm going to hold my nose and pray that he doesn't chip himself out of it because everything else just sets up so perfectly. Since we're already down this rabbit hole, I have the hole by hole metrics here. So he lost uh, round one on number eight. He lost a stroke around the greens. That's the one that I was referencing where he left something where he left it in the bunker round two. Wasn't all that bad. That, that was fine. Round three, he lost two strokes around the green on 13. That's almost impossible to do to lose two on a single hole. That was the vast majority of the strokes that he lost on Saturday. And then on Sunday, just a, a bunch of, he, he lost a stroke plus on nine. So it's, it, this was three holes this was, or four holes. Four holes accounted for the vast majority of him losing over the course of a week. And I, we, I know at least two of them I saw in person, uh, anybody would have spent strokes there and the other two were bad chips. Okay. That makes me feel a lot better. I, I would so much rather have it be a couple blow up disaster holes than him just consistently being bad around the greens and kind of always kind of chipping it to 10, 15 feet. So we're both in on Victor. Who else in this range, Rick, kind of once we get into the the high 20s, the late, and anyone up through yeah. into the 50s is, is kind of has your attention. Yeah, I'm kind of, um, it might be a little sick, but uh, I, I don't mind Sung JM at all here, right? Like I know, I know it's 30. I know it's getting a, a price decrease, but like, listen, 
how often do we just penalize the guy who is the best on the planet by a wide margin the week before? Also, he didn't have to go anywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, there is so much. Uh, when you win, you've got to stay, do media, sign posters, do all this stuff, catch your flight, go to your new place, do media there, and then like then start your routine again. He already did all that. He was out at Korean barbecue last night, live streaming. Like he's cool. He's ready to rock and roll. He, he's staying right there. He's 30 to one. Is he going to win back to back? Probably not. Sam Burns gave us a little bit of a scare, but like, I, I do think Sung Jay is set up for another really good week. No, he is somebody I'm definitely going to go, like the play at the top last week in DraftKings was Sam Burns, right? Like for that sure. was, that was the guy that you should have played at the top and you get this giant ownership discount because there's this narrative that no one can win two weeks in a row. <laughs> Speaking of narratives, I need to ask you about Brooks because I've bet Brooks at 28 to one and he has become a player that I've kind of been betting him a little bit more recently because my numbers have been really strong with him and they're really strong this week as well. He hasn't played much on Fazio courses, but skill set wise, I think he's kind of the prototypical Fazio player, you know, long off the tee, dominates par fives, makes a bunch of birdies, really get out of the bunkers. My issue is I've kind of been firmly in the camp of. I think that the Brooks only cares about majors narrative is dumb. And I'm always willing to admit if I'm wrong about something, Rick, I don't know what to do anymore because he looked pretty lifeless this weekend. But then again, I keep coming back to the question of why play? If you want to give Jenna a weekend in Vegas, you can just give, give Jenna a weekend in Vegas. Guess what? Xander and Cantlay wanted to drink wine with their wives in Napa. They didn't have to play the Fortinet, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I get it. And, and it, he tunes up on some of these tournaments for, mm -hmm. for majors. That makes sense to me, right? But what is he tuning up for right now? It's October. The Masters is 175 days away. So I just do not know what to do with him, man. So I hate that the world we live in with Brooks Kepka and whether we should bet him or not is trying to decipher his <laughs> mentals, right? And trying no. to decipher if he's here or not, because that is such a fool's errand. I will say this. I'm happy. If you want to blindly bet Brooks Kepka every time he touches 30 or whatever, go for it. Like that's probably a plus EV bet to be made just looking at, you know, his career. Right. And you don't even have to consider the course. You don't have to consider the field. You don't have to consider, you know, what else is going on in the, in the city that he's in. Um, it, the case to be made for Brooks is this is a really long price for a prolific winner, a guy who could show up and be the best player in this field by a mile. He gets four guaranteed rounds, which I think is good because sometimes if it doesn't go great on Thursday morning, he kind of checks out a little bit. I think yes. knowing that he's going to be there all four days um, is a good sign. And maybe listen, if you want to play the like, let's try to figure out what Brooks is thinking game. He gets to he gets the Vegas. He plays the Shriners. Doesn't play well out of the gate. Coughs it up. Whatever. No big deal. Um, and then gets to go to you know the Tyson Fury fight. Gets all that stuff out of the system. Now he can just play golf. And now when you get a field, I, I do think that when a lot of the best players show up, Brooks is like, let me prove I'm the best one. So I am not going to kill anybody for snatching up Brooks at like thirty or thirty-two to one to win this event. Yeah, that was kind of the way that I looked at it. It's like, 
there are a lot of people that kind of feel the same way about Colin Morikawa, where it's like once Morikawa starts drifting into that 25, 30 range, it doesn't matter if he's never played a round of golf in England in his life. Like just bet the guy blindly. And I kind of feel the same way about Brooks is it's like last time he won, he won the, he won in Phoenix at 50 to one. Right. And, and I, I bet him that week. Cause it's just like, yeah, he's missed three or four cuts in a row, but Brooks is 50 to one. Right. And you know, a very similar thing happened at the PGA championship as well, where he wasn't in good form at all. The number really drifted and he had a chance to win that tournament on the back nine. So I, I kind of view it the same way. And for me in this range, it's Brooks and, and Hovland. I bet both of them at 28 to one. The only other two guys that I'll mention, and then I'll kind of open it up to you as we kind of get into this wider range going all the way up to 100. But I do like Cam Smith this week. I I was surprised to see Cam Smith pop so much for me, but because he definitely isn't the prototypical Fazio player, but he finished 10th at the Olympics and 11th in Shadow Creek. And I think despite not being long off the tee, He's long enough that while he's not going to overpower a course with his driver like Roy or Hovland, he can get away with it because he makes a ton of birdies. He's really good on par fives, really good out of the bunkers. So I really like Cam Smith this week. I actually think this is a the type of tournament that he could win. And I don't think a lot of people are going to be using him as well. So I like him. I like him in DraftKings a lot. You're definitely going to have uh, kind of a game theory edge on on Cam Smith this week. He's great on bent grass as well. Um, yes. I, I had not strongly considered him. I might have to go back and reevaluate that. I kind of narrowed it down to like, okay, this range, you know, if I'm building out my card and it depends on what I do at the top, but like I probably want to get two of Webb, uh, Harris English, Shane Lowry and yes, Jason Kokrak. Like yeah. I want like two of those. I don't know which two it's going to be. The argument for Kokrak and Webb are they were four under last week and missed the cut. I can't kill them for that. They both gained strokes on approach. They both lost strokes uh, on the putting surfaces. Harris English lost six strokes putting over the course of two rounds. Not going to happen again, but Andy, we know he just modified his putting grip. Like, is he actually <laughs> like, is he really uh could it happen again? Could he lose? Could he lose four strokes in two rounds putting? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I look at I look at Harris English's long term baseline. He is a good putter, yeah. and yeah. as you mentioned, he's even better on bent grass. So I love playing those guys. Like I love playing good putters coming historically good putters coming off a bad putting week um, because they usually kind of even out. Like if you're asking me who I would rather play uh, between like, for example, a lot, I've seen some people on Mark Leishman this week who gained 15 strokes putting over the course of his last two tournaments. If you're asking me who I'd be more interested in the guy, I think some people maybe look at it and it's like, Oh, the guy's really hot with this putter right now. It's like, uh, I don't know how much how sustainable that is. There tends to be a lot of positive regression if someone's putting poorly, or or negative regression in the other way if someone's putting right. uh, if if it goes the other way as well. So yeah, I I I love those guys. Harris English is definitely somebody I'm interested the, in. The more I look at this, I'm going to convince myself to be all in on Shane Lowry here at some point. Yeah. So he is okay. First of all, he's 28 to one at DraftKings, 45 to one in other places, which is already raising, you know, that raises my, my antenna a little that's bit. That's suspicious. Yeah. yeah. That's something's happening here. Now, most people are going to be like, well, you know, we haven't seen him since, geez, the, some people would probably think we haven't seen him since the BMW championship, but he's played twice on the European tour, obviously the Ryder cup. 
he finished fourth at the Alfred Dunhill like two weeks ago. And he has been finished second. Yeah. Yeah. And he has been so good with his irons on the PGA tour for a long time. And if this just turns into second shot, who can get hot with the putter? I don't know. Like that, that is, there is something suspicious about Shane Lowry. And the more I look at it, the more I will, I will invest in him probably. Yeah. I'm definitely playing Lowry and DraftKings. Betting market-wise, I'm kind of still deciding between him and Hatton. Um, Hatton is another guy that I think you're going to look at his page and you're yes. not going to see a lot. But you know, he just finished second uh, at the Alfred Dunhill. And last time he played a Fazio course, he finished second at the Palmetto. Time before that, that he played a Fazio course, he finished third at Shadow Creek and gained 12.4 <laughs> strokes ball striking. Um, so I, I think both of those guys, like Lowry and Hatton, are kind of great options. As we go down a little bit lower, kind of we touched on this a little bit earlier with Brooks with the kind of a, a pure number play. But what do you do with Patrick Reed at 65 to 1? Oh boy. Um, I don't know. I, I think if I, if I make the argument for Brooks and just kind of blindly betting the win equity, you'd probably have to make the same argument for Reed, but the, the metrics are horrendous. Really right bad. I mean, he's just, he's just hemorrhaging everywhere, which I was hoping to see, you know, after having a month off from the tour championship, you could have even, even without the snub Ryder cup narrative, like having the month off, I was hoping to see a lot better version of Patrick Reed at TPC Summerlin. And it was really ugly. So I, if I only had to pick one blind bet on Brooks and Reed, it would be at at their uh, associated numbers. It would be Brooks. Um, I'm, I'm not nearly as optimistic that Patrick Reed just kind of like flips the switch. Cause I don't think he's a flip switcher either. Like you generally see it coming a little bit. Yeah. So I, on Monday morning was going to bet Taylor Gooch at 65 to one, which I do every single tournament. That is just a long-term investment for me. And I saw Gooch's name next to Patrick Reed and, and I paused and I was like, wait, what the hell am I doing here? But at the same time, Taylor Gooch has gained 29 more strokes to green than Patrick Reed has over their last two tournaments. And listen, I get it. Reed just wins. And sometimes he wins when he's not coming in playing the best golf, but I kind of went back and looked. He's playing a lot better golf um, than he is right now. So I totally understand betting him at this number, but I still, I don't feel compelled to personally as crazy as this sounds. I was kind of looking at like Mav McNeely, Aaron Wise, and even Sergio. So, uh, yeah, that does sound a little bit more crazy. I do, you know, so, so it is interesting. I think we're at the point where like who can actually win this golf tournament. Yeah. And now if you want to talk about investing in top tens, you want to talk about getting access in fantasy lineups, uh, Sergio. Great. Again, another guy where, some places are listing them at 40. Some have them at 70. Uh, that should that's, should raise your alerts. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this about Aaron Wise, and I've been very clear about this. He was a top 25 tee to green player last year, and he was just coughing it up on the greens. He is fixing that. He is working hard on it. I'm seeing him out there at Summerlin constantly. He's using the broomstick. It is showing up in his metrics. This is the perfect, like, when he marries these things together, he's he's going to make a lot of noise. I don't know if it's winning the CJ cup or if it's winning in two weeks somewhere at a weaker field, but like this is 
a really good path for Aaron Wise. I I commend him for working as hard as he is on on what is clearly the weakest part of his game, and it's showing dividends early. I'm excited about the next five to ten weeks for Aaron Wise. Yes, I agree. So I'm kind of in the same camp as you. Do I think that Aaron Wise is ready to win this type of tournament? Probably not, and I'm probably not going to end up betting him outright, but I will place a top 10 or a top 20 on him and use him in DraftKings. Sneaky great Fazio history as well, like 17th at Caves Valley, 2nd, 18th, and 9th in three appearances at Quail Hollow, Um, and he just finished 8th at the Shriners where he gained strokes in all four major categories. He's actually been, he, he in the past, and justifiably so, has been kind of lumped into Team No Putt, but he, he's been a much better putter than he has gotten credit for recently. He's gained over 1.8 strokes putting in three of his last five starts. So I love Wise. He'll be a, he'll be a big DraftKings guy for me. And and then, you know, I, I do love Mav McNeely this week. I think that um, you know we he is a member here as well. And I again my love for Mav McNeely, as you mentioned, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I I, I just I think that he has all the tool. Even if this was played in another Fazio course in North Carolina or some. I think he has all the tools to be good on these type of courses because he's plenty long off the tee. He can kind of pick a course apart with his driver when he's on, makes a ton of birdies, and he's coming in playing some really good golf. He missed the cut on the number at the Shriners, but that's just because he lost 2.3 strokes putting. So I think he's a great play this week. Yeah, he is. He is super interesting. And there are, there are, there are, I think, um, I don't want to call them traps, but they're like, there, there's some bait down here, right? There's some guys yeah. that, that have my attention. I'm trying to refocus myself on, can they actually win? I think there are a lot of exciting guys like Alex Norton to play on DraftKings or something like that. The only other guy that I think I'd actually fire an outright on is Cam Davis at 130 to one. I just, listen, we talk about this all the time. We talked about it with uh, Detroit Golf Club. If you can hit it, if you can go to a course and hit it far and not worry about where it lands, that's Cam Davis. Like that's the spot for Cam Davis. And I think that's what we're going to get this week. Just one, obviously within the last couple of months, just raw talent coming off his best round, uh, which came on Sunday at Summerlin. Like I, that, that will be like the, the furthest down I'll go and fire an actual outright. Yes. I have him bookmarked as well. He gained 5.8 strokes ball striking last week. He only finished 27th because he lost 1.6 putting, but Bombs it off the tee. Really good bank grass putter. Hypothetically, this feels like an excellent course for Cam Davis, and he's he's coming off a very good ball striking week. Um, the luster is kind of off him a little bit since his first win this summer, and I, I don't think he's a one-trick pony, though. I, I think it's very natural for when a player breaks through and has that first big win. They have kind of a one- or two-month stretch after where you don't see a lot of them, but I think Davis is going to have a long career on the PGA Tour. I would not be surprised the least bit if he won again soon. Probably may not happen this week, but damn, this is a really, really good course for him. Is there anyone else kind of now as we transition into some of the longer shot guys, maybe not even um, necessarily from an outright perspective, but just anyone in, in DraftKings or, or that you have interest in in the finishing position markets kind of towards the bottom of the board here? Yeah, I think there's two that stand out to me. One is Harry Higgs. Uh, he's 320 to one or 250, depending on where you're looking. So you can get a good number on like a top 10 or a top 20. Uh, I follow. So he was playing with uh, Doc Redman and Honor Bon Lahiri last week. So I, 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 I followed them for a while. And to me, 
he looked a lot more in control of his game than the metrics ended up shaking out, which is kind of a, one of the fun and interesting things about getting out there and seeing it. Like he was never in a bad position. He didn't make any putts. He's he's, I think he's feeling himself a little bit right now. Harry Higgs would be interesting. And we talked about it like right at the top. If you want to play the Fazio game and like the, you know, who, if Fazio touched this course or if you designed it or whatever, Hudson Swafford has had a really good run at, at like Fazio touched courses and he's 300 to one. So those would be guys that I would consider that are either going to give you a ton of, uh, space in your in your salary cap, or you can play them in yeah position markets or something like that. Yeah, so <laughs> I was looking at Swaffer too. I, I tweeted about him last night. He might be a little outmatched in this field, but he did finish top twenty at Caves Valley in a comparable field. He also finished second at Congaree, which not the best comp of all the Fazio courses because that's kind of a Bermuda course in the southeast. But you know, he's he, he's kind of a poor man's prototypical Fazio guy, right? Where he's long yeah. off the tee, good bunker player, makes birdies, hits a ton of green and regulation. He won the Amex uh, for what it's worth. That's another desert golf course. And, you know, he's coming off two good ball striking weeks in a row where he just couldn't putt. So I, I think the price is probably more deflated than it should be. And I think he's probably one of the more appealing min price guys that I've seen in a while. If you kind of are in the camp of wanting to play like two of DJ, JT, and Morikawa at the top, I think you can do a whole lot worse than plugging in Swafford at, at 6,000. We, we talked about like usually the cream rises to the top at some of these no-cut events. I mean, Jason Kokrak won this last year at Shadow Creek. It, do you think that the, the cream rising to the top is less important on at an event where the vast majority of these guys have never seen the course in tournament conditions, if ever. Do you think that, that that is a little bit of an equalizer this week when usually we just get a top 10 guy winning it? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to decipher. And this is one of the, I've, I'm, I am, I hate the narrative as a Xander fan. I hate the narrative of, oh, Xander can only win no cut events. It's like, listen, like Xander, guess what? If there was a cut at the Olympics, Xander still would have won that tournament. Right. If there, if there was a cut at that Hawaii tournament, he still would have won that tournament as well. I do think from a DraftKings perspective, it brings a lot more strategy into play, right? Is because you're not having to worry about certain guys missing the cut. Um, I do think that there are players where if you just increase the sample size on somebody, like if every golf tournament was not 72 holes and 200 holes, like the best Rom would win most of them, right? Like Morikawa would win most of them. So right. anytime you increase the sample size for some of these guys, like it's just going to mean the, the cream rises to the top, but you know, it, it, it depends as well. And kind of, as you mentioned on, on a f course that no one has really seen before, I tend to favor talent, right? Like we've seen, um, guys like Morikawa win at the concession and, and, you look at the concession leaderboard and it's like Morikawa, Hovland, and Scheffler, right? So I think that on a course where it's not like they're going to the Heritage or they're going to uh, Muirfield Village where so many guys know the ins and outs of these courses, I think you really want to kind of weigh recent form and talent a little bit more than you normally would. Well, that makes sense. Okay. I, I, I dig that. I got you. I'm going to give you one more guy, Rick, that this is my favorite play on the board. 
uh, actually. So I bet Gary Woodland at 130 to one. And we have just gotten to the point where Cameron Tringali is 60 to one in golf tournaments and Gary Woodland is 130 to one in golf tournaments. And I will not stand for that. I, I think that he is, I think this is a really good buy low spot for a player that actually hit the ball pretty well in this last start. He's a perfect Fazio player. He's been awesome at Quill Hollow. And while I really like players like Wise and McNeely and Johnny Vegas, if Gary Woodland wins this week, it's like, oh, the guy that's won four times and has won a U.S. Open won again. That's not entirely surprising. It's 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 not like Woodland's in Fowler territory, right? Like he contended at Quail Hollow and contended at the PGA Championship. So I think Woodland is probably he's my favorite uh, bet on the board uh, over like fifty to one and sixty eight hundred in DraftKings. Like sign me up. I think this is a pretty good buy low spot for him. Yeah, you are. Um... Uh, that, that's, that's the case I would have made for Gary Woodland, right? Like I, like a buy low opportunity on a guy who has won multiple times on tour, who has won a U.S. open. Like, it's not that hard to get there. And as you see those odds, just dropping like a rock, um, at some point you have to put your foot down and say enough is enough. Right. So I, I, I don't think I'll get there on Gary Woodland just because the way I fill out my card, I've probably got no other bets to, to make, but <laughs> no I, I, I do not, um, I do not see any issue with that for sure. All right. Well, I think we've covered, I think we've talked about every player that I wanted to touch on. Uh, Gooch is the only other guy that I didn't get to talk about that I am placing a wager on. I, I just, I'm really high on the guy long-term. He's kind of every single week. I think that his odds are consistently worse than the player that yes. he is. And you're already kind of starting to see it, right? We're fourth at the Fortinet, 11th at the Shriners gained 5.6 strokes on approach last week. I don't know if he is ready to win this type of tournament, but I mean, he finished fifth at the players. So yeah. I think he will win a golf tournament in the near future. Um, you have a busy afternoon, my friend. So I want to get <laughs> you out of here soon, but is there anyone else you want to touch on that we didn't talk about before we get you out of here? No, I think that's fair. And again, Gooch, um, to me, very bullish on like, like if I could invest in Taylor Gooch for the next five or 10 tournaments, like that's what I want to do. I, I don't yeah. same, same with some of these other guys, Aaron Watts. I don't know if it's here, but like, these are guys that we're going to have to track, um, odds on and their prices on and, and kind of find them. Cause I think, I think they're ready. I think they're very, very close. If I could say, Hey, he's going to win one of his next, uh, 10 events, you know, give me 60 to one, like, well, I don't know, whatever it would be, but like, yeah, that's, that would that would be exciting. Yeah. And I, and not to get too into the weeds with like the unit stuff and stuff like that, but I made this point on my solo pod. It's like, if you bet Taylor Gooch at 60 to one at every tournament and you throw like 0.15 of a unit on it to win <laughs> nine, you could bet him for 60 tournaments in a row yeah. before it becomes a unprofitable endeavor for you. So yes. some of these guys like uh, with, I started thinking about this more cause I was, I kept seeing something in the numbers with Adam Shank and I was so high on Adam Shank consistently. And then of course I hopped off right before <laughs> uh, he almost won that tournament last week. And it's like, man, if I keep seeing something in the numbers with these guys and they're really, really cheap, it's not a terrible investment to just keep going with some of them because some of these times like you see something in the numbers and it's just too small of a sample size for you to hop off if somebody has a bad tournament. 
And I think that is uh, a good way to look at it, right? I can bet this 60 times before I, like most people aren't considering that and I think they should. So I think that's a good, uh, a very good point. Rick Game and everybody, everybody who is listening to this podcast probably knows exactly where to find you and consumes your content as well. But for those who may not, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you for the rest of the week? Uh, sure. I mean, the best places are, are certainly going to be on Twitter at Rick Run Good. Uh, that's kind of the hub. I'll tweet everything out. But my YouTube channel is uh, also Rick Run Good and RickRunGood.com. Very easy to, uh, to remember all of that. <laughs> Rick, thank you so much for joining me this week. I am super excited to hear your thoughts once you get out to the course this afternoon and enjoy the tournament, my friend. It should be a really good one. Thanks, Andy. Looking forward to it. All right, that's it for the show today. I believe we will probably have a solo podcast on Sunday. We'll see. I've got a pretty pretty big announcement coming up career-wise, which affects the future of this podcast. So we'll talk about that next week. How, how about that for a teaser? Uh, but special thanks to Rotoballer. Special thanks to Thrive Fantasy. Special thanks to Rick Gaiman one more time. Good luck with your bets this week. We'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.